Wir haben so vieles geschafft, wir schaffen das. Ich freue mich sehr, heute hier in Deutschland zu sein. Transatlantic Alliance is back and we are not looking backward. We are looking forward together. Unsere Meinung ist, dass Nord Stream 2 fertiggestellt werden sollte. The fact that Germany is doing better so far makes one humble, not overconfident. Es ist ernst. Nehmen Sie es auch ernst. Hello and welcome back to Neuschland. I'm William Blucher. And I'm Kate Brady. How you doing, Kate Brady? I'm doing good. I actually left Berlin for the first time in forever this week. My goodness, where'd you go? I went to the Bundesdorf. I was in Bonn. That is a fine choice. Of all the places you can go in this world, Bonn. Actually, from a pandemic point of view, it wasn't such a such a bad idea. The incidence rate was at 50 when I got there and then I came back to Berlin and it was at 100. You know, it was nice to get out of Berlin, but it would be nice to finally leave the country sometime soon. I haven't, I don't think I've left Germany since January 2020 now. Nor for me, and I have the unfortunate memory that my last big trip anywhere was to go cover Holocaust Remembrance Day in Auschwitz, which, as luck would have it, was exactly the same day that Germany's first recorded, official recorded case of COVID-19 happened, January 27th, 2020. And that's the last place I've been. But it doesn't seem like everyone is letting the pandemic get in the way of their holiday plans. Eurowings announced this week that it will be putting on extra flights to Mallorca now that the Germany has removed the island from its list of high-risk areas. I feel like we've been here before and we know how this story ends. This is a very deja vu situation, but so is it. I feel like now that we've reached that year mark, a year since the beginning of the pandemic, so many things are just repeating themselves again and again. Pandemic clock back to zero. So authorities are now pleading with people to use their common sense, but let's see whether or not people can resist the temptation to go to the to the 17th Bundesland. Right, they're, they're telling people, please maybe try to travel just within your own Bundesland, which for us in Berlin, which is of course a city and a state, means we can go to Pankow. So we started this week with the results from Sunday's elections in the state elections, both in Baden-Württemberg and also in Rheinland-Palatinate. Now, we're going to be talking more about those results in the coming weeks, but it's fair to say we know that the CDU got quite a thrashing. But in the meantime, the Sondierungsgespräche, so the exploratory talks, not even the coalition talks, (laughs) the preamble is still happening. So we'll be following both of those states closely over the next couple of weeks or so to see what coalition combinations might come out of Rheinland-Palatinate and Baden-Württemberg and what that might mean as we look ahead to, yes, the federal elections. It is, we have to keep reminding ourselves, election year. But for this week, we're going to be focusing on the headline that has been dominating Germany this week. Yes, the big news that everyone's talking about this week is, of course, yet again, AstraZeneca, after several countries had already put their vaccinations of that particular shot on hold due to concerns about some serious side effects, namely a very, very serious, perhaps fatal kind of blood clotting. The same thing happened in Germany when on Monday, German health officials announced they too would be putting AstraZeneca on hold when many of those blood clotting cases also appeared in Germany. 
In Deutschland gibt es vorerst keine weiteren Corona-Impfungen mit dem Wirkstoff von AstraZeneca. Die Bundesregierung setzte die Vergabe am Nachmittag vorsorglich aus. Meanwhile, the WHO, the World Health Organization and the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, which was originally responsible for approving vaccines in the EU, kept sticking to their line that the vaccine's benefits outweigh the risks and that the vaccine was safe and effective. Nonetheless, um, those Perhaps side effects were brought under review and reevaluated this week. Now, right before the EMA came out with those conclusions, we spoke on Thursday to Jess Roman. She's an epidemiologist here in Berlin, and she works as a researcher at the Institute of Public Health at Charité Hospital, as well as the Center for Stroke Research. Jess, welcome to Neuschland. Thank you so much for having me. Pleased to be here. So let's jump right in to the tough question. From a medical perspective, was it the right call to suspend the use of AstraZeneca while it was being reviewed? Well, I think that that's a really challenging question. And as an epidemiologist, I'm not sure that I'm the, the right person to answer that question. But what I can say is that I think it's very important that the Paul Ehrlich Institute in, in Germany reported these cases, made this information known. For me, it was a bit too late. Um, the details could have been released on the day that the concerns were raised. Um, we were all waiting very anxiously for it, for these actual numbers and to understand which age group was affected. But the fact that they recommended suspension, I think, is reasonable. But ultimately, the political, the decision was a political one to stop or temporarily pause the vaccination. And um, I think it shows the, the different roles of the scientific institutions like the Paul Ehrlich Institute, who is supposed to raise a flag when they see, let's say, an anomaly in, at the population level. They see events occurring at a rate that may raise concern. Their role is to then say, hey, maybe there's something going on here. We should look at that further. And what the political side decides to do, whether or not the vaccine should be stopped, that's a decision that's not ultimately made by the scientists, but the government. In this case, the Bundesministerium für Gesundheit, who's led by Jens Spahn. I can understand both arguments, but it's not one that I as a scientist would would like to make directly myself. And we should note that Germany is, of course, not alone or and certainly was not even the first country to make this decision. Absolutely. It's, it's important to take it seriously. But of course, understanding what it also means to forego the vaccine for a few days, that that can have consequences on a population level too, especially given the context that our Uh, number of infections is is continually continuously increasing in Germany. You have the Paul Ehrlich Institute, you have the Robert Koch Institute, and within the Robert Koch Institute, you have STIKO, the, the, the vaccine commission. You have, of course, the federal health ministry, as you pointed out. How does the review and the monitoring system work specifically for this vaccine and these vaccines related to the pandemic? But more generally, I think from an outsider looking in, it, it, it can almost feel like magic or feel like a very random process. But of course, it's not. This is what sur surveillance look like? I mean, I think before this week, very few people knew who the Paul Ehrlich Institute was. People don't really know the role of the EMA. So, so these are things that we can inform people about and hopefully then make them feel safer, that they're in good hands and that we're, we're trying to 
really do everything we can scientifically and ultimately on a political decision-making level to keep them as safe as possible. I think it shows that, that Germany takes drug safety or what we call um, pharmacovigilance very seriously. When these types of events arise, they're reported to the Paul Ehrlich Institute and they're looking at are we seeing levels of these events occurring um, at a higher, with a higher frequency than in the general population? It's important to keep in mind that rare events, even though they are rare, happen. And especially when, in this case, you have 1.6 million people vaccinated with, with AstraZeneca, it's not unexpected that some of these people could be completely unrelated to the vaccine have different things happen to them. So the, the determining factor, what this institute is looking for is, do we see these events happening at, an, at a rate that's much higher than what we would expect in the general unvaccinated population. And of course, every development right now is being followed every step of the way, not only by the media, but by the general public, especially on social media. People are doom scrolling. Within minutes, everyone's an expert. You read a couple of tweets, read a few, uh, few articles, and it's very clear there are characters out there who think they are suddenly an expert. How much of a, of a hindrance is that constant surveillance in the media media and by the public in successfully conveying clear and concise scientific information and explaining these steps. I think it's it's more challenging now that we have things like Twitter, we have, you know, up to the minute updates in the news. You know, we're not used to doing pandemic in the, in the last several decades. In, in the past, a report that's released the next day was probably enough information um, for people and fast enough. And that's just not cutting it nowadays. I, I do feel this, this element of information overload, and I'm, I'm specifically interested in this topic. And I think for the general public, you know, I, I can imagine, and I've, I've seen a lot of it on social media, that people are fearful. They've known individuals um, who have been affected by this disease. They've known people potentially who have died from this disease. So it's something very serious. It's something that, you know, everyone wants to do something. What can I do? I can get vaccinated. That's something I can do. Oh, but is there maybe a concern with the vaccine or maybe people had an appointment, but then because of delivery shortages, then they couldn't get the vaccine. I mean, these are very stressful times. And I think um, as, as both a scientist and as a, as an individual and human being, I, I think any, any of these uncertainties that come up, of course, are unsettling because we all are looking forward to the tomorrow where we can go back to more or less normal. And I think it speaks to promoting risk literacy as early as in the school years so that, that kids learn to understand what is risk and, and how can I understand my risk and, and weigh it against potential benefits. I think introducing this and expanding it in the current medical training programs so that doctors know how to communicate risks to their patients. We need a clear and really consistent communication on all levels and, and have what's really a public health strategy um, that's coordinated. I didn't feel that this week as much as I would have liked. We're all focused on this one particular clot, but of course the list of potential uh, potential effects from the vaccine is very long and, and also very questionable. Exactly. And I mean, I would not be surprised now if in the coming weeks, because 
you know, we've we've made or these statements have come out that you will actually see more reports of potential side effects because now everyone who got AstraZeneca is aware that there may be some adverse events and now they're going to be thinking very closely anytime they have a small symptom. Is this something? Should I get it looked at? Something like a cerebral sinus venous thrombosis is a level of severity that, you know, it's, it's very different from just a, a headache or um, some, some nasal stuffiness or something like that. We're talking about a really severe um, symptom, which in this case led um, to, three, to three deaths. How do you see we go forward from a communications perspective to get this vaccine program back on track. I think um, giving that broader context is so important and that people know if they do have an issue. And I think that that's an important takeaway of this week, that there is monitoring going on and, and being aware of what's happening, um, I think should strengthen our, our confidence in the system that if there is an issue, it's going to be flagged and we're going to take a closer look. Keyword coordinated response. We need to convey that with confidence to the public that this is a normal part of surveillance. This is a normal part of a vaccination program, but that, that needs to be really communicated from all sides and backed up by numbers. So much more we could talk about, so much more information still to come, but we're going to have to leave it there for the time being. Just home and thank you so much for joining us on Neuschland. Thank you so much for having me. Now, shortly after we spoke to Jess, the EMA came out with its conclusions of the AstraZeneca review. Guten Abend, meine Damen und Herren. Ich begrüße Sie zur Tagesschau. Die Europäische Arzneimittelbehörde hält den AstraZeneca-Impfstoff für sicher und empfiehlt den weiteren Einsatz. So the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, said that the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe for use. And this is what Sabina Strauss, the chairperson of PRAC, had to say. Thank goodness they have an acronym too. That's the Pharma Covigilance Risk Assessment Committee. In short, the committee responsible for assessing and monitoring the safety of human medicines for the EMA. Prag noted that the number of thromboembolic events reported after vaccination is lower than the expected in the general population. And Prague has concluded that there is no increase in the overall risk of blood clots with this vaccine. Moreover, because the vaccine is effective in preventing COVID-19 disease, which in itself is a cause of blood clots, it likely reduces the risks of thrombotic events overall. She also went on to say they can't conclusively rule out any link between the vaccine and serious side effects such as this kind of blood clotting, and that they were recommending to add these kinds of warnings of such side effects as a possibility when giving out vaccinations to general population. And then, of course, just a day later, we heard from researchers at the Greifswald Teaching Hospital up in northern Germany saying that they've discovered the cause of this unusual blood clotting that's been found in some people who have been administered that AstraZeneca vaccine. This now means they say that people who experience similar clotting can be offered targeted treatment using what they say is a very common medication. So, Germany has now resumed administering AstraZeneca. That already started on Friday and Health Minister Jens Spahn uh, came out 
and said, as you mentioned, that this will still be administered, but the vaccine will now come with new advice on potential side effects. And at the same time, it seems that women who take the contraceptive pill or anti-baby piller, as it's called here in Germany, they will most likely be offered the choice because of that higher risk of blood clotting. So we're full steam ahead, right? Yeah, all we have to worry about now is the logistics issues, the supply issues, and German bureaucracy getting in the way of the vaccine rollout. So where do exactly we stand now on vaccines here in Germany? Well, one thing we can say about the rollout right now, it's consistent in speed, still extremely sluggish. Only about 8.7% of the population here in Germany has received their first shot of a COVID vaccine, any COVID vaccine. And Berlin was very proud of itself this week by saying that all people over the age of 80 in the city have now received at least one shot of the vaccine, which on the surface sounds very impressive. But when you actually look at the numbers, there's only about 200,000 people in Berlin, a city of 3.7 million people uh, who are over the age of 80. That's less than 6% of the population. So that took about 11 weeks for that to happen. And if you go to the uh, official or original estimate that we were told back in November, December, they were expecting 20,000 people a day to be able to get vaccinated. They should have been able to do that in 10 days. And all the while, we're constantly hearing stories from friends, family. I'm sure it's the same with you and US relatives. But for me, from family and friends in the UK, more and more people that I know are now getting their first shot. Over 55s now being called up for their first shot. And of course, most of the people that I know that have received their first jab in the UK have all had it administered at a GP, at a general practitioner. And that appears to be one of the big differences here in Germany, that vaccines are still not in the hands of regular doctors and also pharmacies, which we were told at least back in the end of 2020, that was always going to be the plan. Yeah, and that's only just about to become a reality now. So Angela Merkel and the state premiers met again on Friday and they decided or agreed finally to let house the GPs, general practitioners, administer uh, vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines, sometime after Easter. Und deshalb haben wir intensiv darüber beraten, wie wir beides, Impfzentren und Arztpraxen, schnellstmöglich kombinieren und unbürokratisch and there's also going to be some additional doses uh, being made available as well in, in hotspots in Germany, particularly on some of the border regions between Germany and Czech Republic and also on the German-French border. But it does seem right now that with every week that goes by, we're seeing if the penny hadn't dropped already, that bureaucracy and the red tape in Germany is just the biggest flaw and the biggest obstacle in Germany's plan to not only ease lockdown restrictions, but to also roll out vaccines as well. It's just this constant hurdle. And And I think a great example of this is exactly this onerous decision between Angela Merkel and the state leaders to try to come up with a plan for how to get doctors involved with the vaccination process. I don't understand why it needs to be a decision or a long back and forth between various leaders what else are doctors practices good for and we mentioned this briefly last week except for giving out shots to patients this is what they do and germany is a country of verbinde of vereine associations and different kinds of nonprofits representatives of various sectors of the economy this is there's supposed to be a bridge between the government and doctors practices exactly to smooth this kind of communication and get this information out and get people working together 
So it seems to me, or at least what we've been reading in local media here, is one of the biggest concerns is to make sure that doctors' practices will stick to the prioritization rules about who gets the vaccine first. And in a country where it could be difficult to get anything more than aspirin from your doctor, I really don't see the risk of doctors in any kind of meaningful way, handing out these vaccines like candy. It's just not going to happen. It does seem at least that this is now being acknowledged, that things just aren't going to progress or speed up if some of this red tape isn't cut. And that's exactly, I think, what Merkel herself referred to on Friday. We want that also the sprichwörtliche and in übrigen auch bewährte deutsche Gründlichkeit um mehr deutsche Flexibilität ergänzt wird. She said, we want the proverbial and tried and true German thoroughness to be expanded with more German flexibility too. I mean, I, I did have to laugh. I didn't know that there was so much German flexibility. We haven't seen any throughout the pandemic anyway. Not in a country that is known for doing the same thing, at least business-wise, for the last 150 years. So the big question now is, is Germany going to have the necessary doses? And it's looking unlikely that the number of doses available are really going to pick up dramatically before the end of April. And of course, that then uh, puts into question the aim, the goal of the government right now to try and offer everyone in Germany a vaccination by September 21st. And it was interesting this week that already we're seeing a tiny change in that rhetoric. And Merkel said, I think we have a good chance of offering a vaccine to every resident by the end of the summer. So already, not to read into that too much, but we're starting to see that shift, I think, of uncertainty and something that's certainly going to become more more of an issue uh, the nearer we get to the election as well. And talking of elections, this week has not been a good week for the governing CDU, CSU in the polls. They're now at less than 30%. A couple of different polls putting them at between 28 and 29%, which of course doesn't bode well for September. Still a long, long, long way to go. We can't stress that enough. Every week, these polls will keep popping up time and time again. But certainly we are starting to see uh, that frustration among voters becoming a reality in the polls. And if German voters aren't frustrated enough, there may be more frustration in store when Germany very likely this week is going to reimpose a lot of the lockdown measures that we were only just starting to get out of in what they're calling the so-called Notbremse, the emergency break. That's when we pull the cord on steps towards easing. Yeah, we didn't get very far through that jazzy A4 step-by-step plan that was announced just a couple of weeks ago. As avid fans of Neuschland might remember our guest from a couple of weeks ago describing that plan and its ambitions. That strikes me as ludicrously optimistic. And it appears he was right. Yeah, we're already seeing just in the past couple of days, various regions around the country have seen their incidence rate already spring above 100. And so now everyone is expecting that to be the case nationwide over the next couple of days. So just to remind ourselves, though, it wouldn't be a return to lockdown. We are still in a form of lockdown. We never left the lockdown. This would just be a tightening of any of the measures that have already been eased. You do have to wonder right now when the incidence rate is at 99.9 nationwide. Is the pandemic trolling us. I will say that so much of this has 
been foreseeable. Many experts have saying the second wave's going to come. We, it's too early to get out of this. We can't be easing up yet. The mutations are going to be a huge part of the, the new infections. The third wave is coming. It at least answers a question that I think science fiction movies have long dealt with, which is what would we do as humans if we could see the future? And we have our answer now. Nothing. Stubbornly stick to what we want to do anyway. Well, that's it for this week. Join us next time for the latest from Germany. And don't forget, you can find us on the usual podcast providers as well as podcast network Bear Radio. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us or make our week and leave us a review. We all need some lockdown loving. Until next time, mach's gut.